Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. God began to show me uh, throughout these things that I was absolutely correct in when He led me to bring the... I, I put the series together months ago, but now is the right timing. And I did, you know, sometimes you don't know why when God tells you things. And this is one of those times. And God has just shown me, you don't need to know why. You just, you just need to know it's right. And so it's okay. And so what is the church of Christ? And this morning's message is, it is the house of God. The house of God. And friends, here's the thing. I have watched movie after movie after movie after movie. You know I'm a movie buff, and many times uh, it'll surround around a scene that has to do with a church somewhere, and somebody will invariably be doing something there that ought not be done to most people within the church of God. In fact, uh, I've heard it said time and again when a pastor or a priest or, or whoever come out and say, how dare you, this is the house of God. Anybody ever seen that before? Yeah. And it dawned on me that people don't know how to behave in the house of God. What do you think about that? I'm of the opinion that today in the modern church, not only people that don't know anything about the church, of course they wouldn't know how to behave in there, even the people that attend it don't know how to behave in it. (laughs) You're not the only one. And I don't even know who said that. But here's the thing. Well, I, I can see with my glasses, but still, I don't know who did. Anyway, so here's the other thing. I don't think people know what the house of God is. And I'm willing to bet you don't know what the house of God is. Now, before you get upset with me or defensive, say, well, I know what the house of God is. I've been going here. I'm all like, it's got nothing to do with that. Being inside the sanctuary in a church is only one part of the house of God. Do you understand that? Let me explain it to you. The house of God is the house of God, and it's many things. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, three verses, 14, 15, and 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to his, his cohort, Timothy, who he has charged to take over a few of the churches as pastor. And Timothy doesn't want to do it. He doesn't think he's qualified, and he's afraid of what's going to happen as pastor. Trust me, I know all about that, because being a pastor is a terrible and unthinkable thing sometimes. The weight and the gravity upon you sometimes is more than some can bear, and they fall. They fail. They run. They collapse, and I've seen it time and again, and we were losing more pastors than we're putting in. Did you know that? Okay, so having said that, We have to understand what it means to be a pastor and why Timothy struggled. 
okay? But the more important thing is Paul has something to say to him about what the church is. He almost bypasses Timothy's concerns and goes right to building him up on what the house of God is. So he sees his responsibility and the need for it before he addresses Timothy's personal problems. And I think that's brilliant. And you know why it's brilliant? Not because Paul thought it up, because Christ led him that way. This is gorgeous. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen to this. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Did you hear that? You need to know how people should conduct themselves in God's household. Now, why did Paul want Timothy the pastor to know how people should conduct themselves in God's household? So he could tell them how they should involve themselves in God's household. How they should conduct themselves in God's household. The pastor has responsibility to tell us, based on what God tells him or her, how we should act. And sometimes God tells us through the Word of God, and sometimes He tells us through the Holy Spirit. Yes? And He says that God's household, get this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Now, there's an awful lot there, and I'm not going to get into that second part with the angels and the glory and the, that other stuff. Not today. I know you want to hear that, but you, you have to walk before you can run, and you've got to crawl before you can walk. You have to understand the depth of what he's talking about before we get into the rest of it. Sometimes our inquiring minds want to know more than we can handle and more than we can understand. And if you don't understand what you're being taught, does it do you any good anyway? No. That's the point. So as we begin part one of our series on the Church of Christ, the reason I developed this series, friends, is because first, the Bible describes to us what the church is supposed to be. Not what we've made it to be, not what humans expect from it, but what God determined the church is supposed to be. Amen? It starts there. Secondly, based on my own observation of the modern church today and the contrast that I see even amongst Christians, I've come to the conclusion that either we don't know what the church of Christ is or we don't care what it is. Now, I want that to sink in your brain pan just for a minute. Either we don't know what it is or we don't care. And it's easy not to care when you don't know much about it. And I'm of the opinion that it is a combination of both, although most people likely don't mean to be non-caring about it. I'll admit that. At the very least, we have to learn about it. We have to know about it. Why? Because our tendency today is to take it for granted. Time and again, we've done it. I've even done it. You've even done it, whether you will admit it or not. Sometimes we misbehave in it. And sometimes we treat it with little or no reverence or respect. 
And so I've turned to the Apostle Paul for this morning's message. And in this first chapter of Timothy, Paul describes how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household or church because of what it is. Not because you've been taught that or somebody would have smacked you if you didn't. It's because you know what it is. Every child I've ever taught anything, I knew I had to teach them why. Because if you don't, it won't stick. Now, some of them don't care why. I get that. But if you continue to teach them why, the end of the means will be better for you. Our study has three main divisions. The house of God is God's house or His household in the spiritual realm. Do you understand that? The house of God is God's spiritual house or His household in the spiritual realm. It is also the church of the living God and is lastly the pillar and foundation of the truth. Those are the three things Paul says it is. And my plan this morning is to describe and develop these three points in the order of which Paul describes them. And this is a, this is a deep message. It's a lengthy message. I'm going to try to get through it as fast as I can. And if I can't get through it in the time allotted, then we'll stop and we'll do it again. I'll pick up where I left off next week. First of all, the house of God is God's household in the spiritual realm. And I began to ask the question that I believe you'll ask, well, what's a household? Because sometimes, here's what I know, people have a different idea of what a household is. Why? Because they all run differently. Everybody in here runs their household differently than I do. And I run mine differently than you do. And you could point to any person in here, and we probably all run our households even differently. My children grew up in my house. Do you think that they run their households like I did? Probably not. Some things they adopted, some things they didn't. And I suspect that they'll find that their children will do the exact same thing. Why? Because we're people and we have our own opinions. And sometimes I felt like my dad was right, and a lot of times I think he wasn't. A lot of times he did the right thing, a lot of times he didn't. And I found another thing. It's a sliding scale. What I thought was good back then, I no longer do. And some things I thought were bad back then, I think he was absolutely right. Because I've matured and see things better than, than I did when I was younger. Anybody? That's just the way life works, isn't it? Things change over time. A household, friends, can be several things very quickly. First, it typically refers to a building which is intended for the use as a home or a domicile. The Bible says that this is true in Matthew 7, 1 Corinthians 11, and 2 John 10. The Bible refers to it as a house, a place where people live, a physical building. Secondly, the Bible says that a house or a household is our own physical body. How many of you knew that? Yes. Okay. Our physical body. Or the Bible says the tabernacle of the Spirit. Have you heard that? Tabernacle of the Spirit. Yeah. That's not one we, t we touch on a lot, but we ought to touch on it more, I can tell you. Okay? Anyway, the Bible talks about that, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to this. For we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, he's talking about right here. Okay? Where your spirit lies. And so Paul is clearly describing the transition from our earthly bodies to our new heavenly body. That's what he's talking about in this, in this, this place right here. And we also know that both are the house of God when He takes up residence within us as salvation. Yeah? When God comes to live within you, that's now God's household, isn't it? It's no longer yours. It's His. Yeah? 
Okay. Thirdly, Jesus referred to the house of God as the house of Israel. The house of Israel. Or God's covenant people under the law of Moses. Hence, we've heard it said, God's chosen people. The nation of Israel. Yeah? Have you heard that before? Okay. Matthew 15, 24, New American Standard. But he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Therefore, Jesus referred to a nation as the lost sheep. Now, he changed it in the, in the New Testament, but at the beginning, that's what he said. You understand? He came to the Jewish peoples, but he opened it to everyone, didn't he? And there's the transformation. We'll get to that in a second. Fourth is the members of a family. What God calls a household, the mom, dad, sons, and daughters. In fact, the Bible also refers to the household as the people in the family. John 4, Acts 16, uh, 1 Timothy 3, Hebrews 11, all talk about people in the household as being part of a family. So those are the four ways that make up a household. But what's this household in the spiritual realm? What's God's household in the spiritual realm? So this, is, this is where it starts to get a little iffy. Well, since it's in the spiritual realm, here's what it can't be. It can't be a material building, right? Because you can't take it with you. It can't be our physical body because we ain't going to have the physical body anymore. It's going to be a new heavenly body. It can't be the tabernacle of the spirit because the spirit doesn't live in that body the way it lives in this one. I'm not going to get into that today. That's a sermon for, yeah, you may not ever get that one. And it can't be the house of Israel. Why not? Well, because the, the spiritual realm isn't physical. And since Jesus did away with this, this, the physical part of the nation in the New Testament, then it can't be. So, because there's going to be the people of the nation of Israel that aren't going to be saved. Yes or no? Okay. He's not saved the whole nation. Because the nation of Israel that he's referring to is now the household of Israel. When you go all the way back, that's Jacob. Okay? And if you're going to talk about Jacob, it isn't just the peoples. It's the covenant that God made with his father, with his grandfather, Abraham. You understand? So it comes down the line to Jacob. And that's the house. So basically what he's saying, and Jesus reiterated, is that what makes up the house of Israel today is the people that belong to God as, as God's people. We're a holy nation. It's the nation of Christians. You understand? That's what it means. Who did I lose? Nobody's going to admit it. Good. That means you got it. So, Jesus said he established this thing called the household of faith. Has anybody ever heard that before? In fact, there's a song or two out there with it. The household of faith. It's clear that Jesus established this spiritual family. He even said that anyone who believed in him repented of their sins and accepted Christ as their personal Savior and then lived accordingly, by the way. Can't leave that part out. We want to sometimes. They were given a place in God's family, in God's household. I believe I'm part of that. Anybody here believe you're part of that? Okay. Now, he said that there were people in there that were his mother and his brother and his sisters. His mother, his brothers and sisters, who are they? Anybody who believes, that's who's part of it. You see the disciples, hey, your mother and your brothers are here and your sisters are here. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's in the physical sense. I'm, 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 I've moved on to the spiritual sense now. And so should we. 
Because it dawned on me when I was having this conversation with my family that even though they might be my physical family, until they get saved, they are not part of God's family. And therefore, they're not my brothers and sisters. And the only one that's going to count in the end is that one. Amen? This is what we have to understand. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Paul even told us in Galatians 6.10 that it was called the household of faith. He said, so then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. That's the brethren. That's the other believers. They're the only ones that are going to understand anyway. You understand? And as I began to think about that, I realized that this family concept in the spiritual realm is found throughout the New Testament. I, I think the struggle that we have as Christians is we, 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 we have a hard time transitioning from the physical family to the spiritual one. Because, you know, you, you've heard it said that blood is thicker than water. But I don't think we understand what that means. We say it, meaning that family is always going to be family, and those who aren't in your physical family, well, there's going to be some nepotism that happens because of that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's... that's Luciferianism. Luciferianism. You know what I mean by that? Because that's what they believe. That's Satanism. Because who controls this world? Satan does. And who puts those thoughts in your head? Satan does. He's the one that says the physical family is more important than spiritual family. God says, no, it isn't. And I have to, I have to tell you the truth. There have been times in my life when I would much prefer to hang out with my spiritual family than I ever did my physical family. Who, among, who, who knows what I'm talking about here? That's the point. Because you get along together, because you understand. You know why? Because the Spirit's in all of you. That's what connects you. That's the difference. doesn't mean you don't like your physical family. Well, you might, but you don't hate them. But sometimes I can only take them in small bites. Because they're never going to understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. We resolve our differences w way differently than those who are in the Spirit do. Right? It's, it's, it's just different. In addition to Galatians 6.10, we find other references. Paul says in Ephesians that when we get saved, we're God's children and members of His household. Peter tells us in his first chapter, or his first epistle, the second chapter, that we're the stones that build the spiritual house and the foundation. Hebrews 3.6 identifies Jesus Christ as the Son who is over His own house, and that we who are in it have hope to the end. And so, friends, none of this ought to be new to us. But maybe it's just new, new conceptually to us. Now, I know that all of us are feeling all warm and fuzzy inside hearing all this. Why? Because every single one of us loves the idea of belonging to a family, of belonging to something. You know why? Because when your own physical family has rejected you or failed you in some manner, or it's dysfunctional, and a lot of us have those. Yeah? Hear me now. If you're right, look up. I want you to get this. Everybody in here has some sort of dysfunction in some part of their physical family. Yeah? How right am I? And so when you're failed that way, psychologically, 
emotionally, and even physiologically, okay? Because we all, and I mean, now I know sometimes we're a hugging church, so we kind of unnerve people when we hug them, you know, but that's okay. But most every time they come back for another one, don't they? So here's the thing. So we all need that, you see. And so this talk of family and this, and when your, your other family fails you and God's family is there, boy, that, that isn't that, that means everything, doesn't it? It, it, it does away with all the hurt that you have from what the other one didn't give you or what they did give you, okay? The God's family changes that. So you like being part of God's family. We all do, and you should. Here's the problem. We don't understand it. I don't think we do. I'm going to explain why. All of us like the permanency of it. You can never be taken away from, you know, you'll never be kicked out. You could, you could give it up, I suppose, but you can't, you can't be kicked out. And God, you know, whether you believe it or not, is never going to disappoint you. He's never going to be a poor father. He's never, he's never going to do those things that an earthly father or mother may, and sometimes even have. Friends, there's something we have to understand with this. Just like with every type of family there is, when you're part of a family, regardless if it's functional or not, being in that family, having that last name or having that connection brings a sort of responsibility. There is always responsibility to the family. You're like, no, no, there isn't. No, yes, there is. You may not like your parents. They may not like you, but you have responsibility to them. God says you do. Huh? It doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter how bad they treated you. You have responsibility to them. And they you. Now, whether or not one of the parties is doing it or not doesn't matter. See, we're a people that says, well, you know, I'm not going to treat them well if they don't treat me well. Yeah, then God says, yeah, you will. You have to treat them the way God says you should treat them, not the way they treated you. There's a responsibility to provide for them, to take care of them, to be there emotionally for them. You don't have to like them. You've got to love them, though. Even when they don't even know what that means. Yeah? See, this is, this is, this is the, what we've got to grasp here. Okay? And rather than explaining it to you in the spiritual realm, I'm going to let God's Word do it for you. You, you ready to listen? Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that means into God's kingdom room. You understand that? Everybody has authorization to go in there. We're all invited to it. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. First Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Think about that for a second. You are God's own possession. Now, if you read the King James, not the new King James, because it changes it too, but the old King James says a peculiar people. Peculiar isn't really the correct translation, but I understand why they did it. 
It means God's possession. That's peculiar because not everybody is. <laughs> and if you're peculiar, that means you're probably not in the majority. And that's what the writers were trying to say to us. There are going to be in the last days less people who actually belong to the kingdom of God, and therefore to the world, they will be a peculiar people. But the other translations say that they're, they're God's possession. That's why we're peculiar. In other words, not that many people in the last days are actually going to belong to God. <laughs> you hear that? How many of you think that's probably true? Darn straight it is. More and more so, isn't it? Okay. Keep that in your mind. You see, when you're God's possession, you're a people that belong to God as no others do. Now, that's going to go against and contrast what a lot of people are going to tell you. I'll get to that in a second. But the reason we have to look at it is, is the why. The reason that we're different than other people is because we're a purchased people. We were purchased. How many of you know you're purchased? What were you purchased by? The blood of Christ. His life. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Listen to this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, God purchased you with the blood of His Son. He cared for you so much, and He wanted you to be part of him, His family for eternity. They did, did everything to get you back. He did everything to redeem you. He did everything to bring you into His household. And once you said yes and acknowledged Him and changed the old style to the new style, and you're obedient, now you're part of God's household. Not until. Friends, this is not something you can opt out of. I want you to understand this. You can't opt out of this. And before you start disagreeing with me in your mind, because I know you ain't going to tell me that, but you'll disagree with me in your mind. Before you do that, I want you to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Now, you can decide to leave the household of Christ. Yeah? You can decide to leave the household of Christ. That's up to you. But once you've been purchased, it can't be taken from you. You can leave it, but you won't be kicked out, and it won't be taken from you. But if you decide to remain in it, you can't opt out of your responsibilities as a member of his household. You cannot. They're yours. They're there. He demands it. His name is upon your forehead. That's what the Bible tells us. Amen? You belong to Jesus Christ. Yes or no? That means you're in His family and you can't opt out of your responsibilities if you remain in it. That's impossible. And my friends, this is the biggest problem in the church today. You know why? Because it seems to me that there are an awful lot of people who belong to the church of Christ who belong to the household of Christ, who love the idea of being in the family, but they don't want the responsibility of it. And they're trying to opt out of the responsibilities. And my question is, when you opt out of the responsibilities, 
at what point are you not in the family anymore? This just happened in the physical realm. We just saw it. I just saw it. It just happened this week, didn't it? Know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? Prince Harry, right, gave up his royal title. Doesn't want to be, doesn't want to have responsibilities. And the queen said, fine, then you're not part of the royal family then. They are stepping away. They're receiving no public funds. They have no military responsibilities or appointments, and they have no uh, responsibilities to the family in, a, in, a, uh, in an official capacity. Doesn't change their blood. They're still blood-linked to them, but they no longer have the royal titles. Well, why, why would we think that doesn't work with God? Because it does. You cannot opt out of your responsibilities. And if you do, you're no longer part of his family. You're not part of his household. So let's talk about that. So who is part of God's household? It's a fair question. Don't you want to know if you're part of God's household? See, the fact is you should know already. You should know whether you're part of his household or not. You know why? Because you know whether you've accepted it or not, you've been adopted into it or not. The problem with it is, the reason you question why you're in there or not, is because you've tried to opt out of responsibility. And you want to know just which ones you can opt out of and which ones you can't. And you want to know how far you've gone with it. Now call me a liar. Boy, that's, that's a tough place to be, isn't it? Now, I'm not trying to be mean or upset, or I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you the way it is. You know why, friends? You know why I can talk to you like this? Because I've tried to opt out of my responsibilities before. And I'll make a deal with myself and say, well, you know, it's for this or it's for that or what, well, you know. <laughs> and no, I suppose nobody else in here has ever done that before. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you think God doesn't know that? Of course God knows it. The Apostle Peter asks us a huge question here. I hate this question. And I almost hate the fact that God brought it to my attention so I would not only have to share it with you, but I had to put it in my own heart and mind. Don't you just hate it sometimes when God brings something to your attention that you don't want brought to your attention? And Peter says this. He says in, in 1 Peter 4, 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. I want... Now I'll take my word. You look it up yourself. It's there. It's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, Peter asks, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And some people are going, well, which part? Does it matter? I'm thinking it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, I'm more than thinking it. You see, God is always identified as the father of his house. 
Yes. And his family is composed of his children, his sons and his daughters, who are, my friends, I dare say, the brothers and the sisters of his other son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? No church in the land is going to dispute that. I don't, I don't care whose name is on the front door or what denomination it belongs to. If you're a Christian church, you believe that, that God is the head of his household. He's the father. And we are the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, who is likewise a son to the Father as we are sons and daughters to the Father. Yes? That's what the, that's what the church of God believes. In fact, Christ even identified with them as their brother, the one who took on human nature and was made like his brothers and sisters, get this, in every way, according to Hebrews chapter 2. He was created like us and us like him in every way in our humanity. Now, see, sometimes we separate the two. Well, you know, no, 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 <laughs> you can't. Jesus' humanity and your humanity are one in the same. No, no differential. What set him apart is his obedience to his Godship. You understand that? So who's part of God's household? Well, this is the makeup of God's spiritual family. And I've got news for everybody. God has, get this, you can write this down. You can tell people I said it. John, you can post it that I said it. God has no illegitimate children outside of his spiritual family. Do you know what I mean by that? It means that if you aren't part of God's family, then you're not his child. If you aren't part of his household, you're not his child. And here's the other thing. Faithful children always honor, revere, and obey their father. Notice I said faithful children. I wasn't always faithful. Not to my earthly father and not to my heavenly one. You? See, we'll go a long way if we, if we admit this stuff and then try to fix it. In fact, they submit to his will. They follow the example of their elder brother, Jesus Christ, who always does the Father's will. Always has. Always will. He said so. And he has. And lastly, his faithful children remember who they are. Wherever they are. No matter what. And so as I began to think about that, I thought, okay, well, there's a question I have to answer because I know somebody's asking it. I've done it before, but I'm going to have to do it again because somebody here doesn't quite get it. Or they've been convinced by somebody who doesn't understand either. How does one become a member of God's household, part of his spiritual family, a son or daughter of God in the spiritual realm? How, does one, how do we do that? You would think I shouldn't have to teach that today. But sadly, I think I do. And, and even if you do know it, at least this is going to reiterate it in your mind so when someone argues with you, you've got something to fall back on. You can say, well, this is why. So it obviously begins by the new birth, being born again, yeah? Anybody dispute that? I doubt it. This is the only way one can become a child of God. And here's what I want to tell you. No, all 
people, all humans are not God's children. That's right. I said it. But it isn't me that's saying it. I'm repeating it. Okay? Yes, I know that people want to say that. I know the Pope even said it. He's wrong. And if the Pope walks up this door and tells me, I'll say, you're wrong. I will tell any pastor, any person in authority, you know why? Because it isn't biblical. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. It doesn't matter what we want to believe. It doesn't matter what we've always been taught. It doesn't even matter what the majority says. What matters is what does God say? Doesn't it? You see, it isn't up to the Pope or anybody else to make that determination. Only God decides whether you're His child or not. Now, I will admit that every single human is God's creation. Yeah, we are. But we are not His child unless we conform, accept Christ as our Savior, and are readopted in His family. And God says, you must be born again to belong to Him and be His child. 1 Peter 1, 22-23, John 3, 5-7, listen. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. This is Christ telling it, not me. They're His words, not mine. But you know what, friends? As I begin to think about it, it's more than that. It's really more than that. I know we don't want it to be because sometimes we feel like we've gotten enough, yeah? Like, you're probably thinking, i got to unpack all this. I can't take anymore. But the fact of the matter is, when you were born again, you became, get this, a new creature or a new creation. And aren't you glad of that? Who, who wanted a clean slate? Anybody? Brand new, brand new slate. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I started a project, no matter what it was, and, and I had to start all over again because the L just wasn't working out the way I wanted it to. It didn't look right. And I'm one of those people that if it doesn't look right, I can't just accept it the way it is. Yeah? It's got to be right or I'm not doing it. I wish I could say the same about my life. Because sometimes I've, ex- I've accepted mediocrity when I should not have. Anybody done that before? And I hated it when I was pushed to be better. But I'm awful glad they did it now. Anybody? But when you became a new creature, a new creation, friends, the clean slate, see, we want the new clean slate. But why do we keep going back to the old one, the old pattern then? If the new one gives you brand new ideas, brand new hope, brand new everything, and you can start all over again and do it right, why do you keep going back to the old pattern? That one, we already know that's no good, so what are we doing there? Come on. You see this? This is what this new creation is supposed to be. It means that you don't think, you don't speak, you don't act like you once did at all. Now, I know it's a transition, and I know it takes a little time here and there, but some people don't look like they've ever made any transition. 
We're trying to carry the old self into the new realm, and you can't. I mean, you might as well stick with the old self then, because you certainly don't want the new one. Problem with it is, without the new one, you can't be in God's household. So you choose. That's why, that's why Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. He wasn't kidding. He knew. He didn't even have the New Testament yet, and he knew. How is it that we don't know? We do know. Don't want to admit it, but we know. The Bible says good and evil cannot coexist. They cannot. God and Satan cannot live in the same vessel. They never have been able to. Why do you suppose God kicked him out in the first place? What in the world are we doing then trying to live in both households? Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other or despise the other. My question is, on what day am I despising God? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. And I begin to wonder then, if, if, if people live that way, if we're trying to serve two masters, trying to live in two households, then what days of the week, what parts of the day are we spending with God? What parts of the day are they with Satan? And you tell me where the balance is, because I don't know. And you know what the problem is? Satan doesn't want you to know. Why? Because you're probably spending more time with him than you are with God, and he doesn't want you to know that. And at what point are you no longer God's household? People say, well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. It's exactly that simple. You see, everything about you has supposed to have changed, and everything about you is supposed to resemble Jesus Christ. And Paul's clear about this in 2 Corinthians 5. And that means that anything outside the Scripture and the Holy Spirit cannot be changed or compromised. Then why are we? Because this is the only way we can be set apart to God's household in the spiritual realm. You know what, friends? There is no way I can complete these other two things. I, I, if I do, I'm going to rush through them. And you're going to have way too much to think about. So here's what I want to do. Worship team, come on up here. What I want to know is what you want to know. What is it going to require for you as an individual? And I, I listen, I don't want you looking around. It doesn't matter what your neighbor does. It doesn't even matter what your spouse does. I mean, it does, but you've got to worry about you first. And then you can do it together. But here's the deal. Every single one of you when you walked in that door this morning, most likely felt that you were part of the household of God. I think the problem with it is you don't or haven't understood what the household is. You see, it's just not getting saved. You're his prized possession. You're, you're, you're his only possession. You were purchased with a price. And you belong to him. And a lot of people out there do not. In fact, most don't. That's why the writers said, translated, that we're a peculiar people. Because peculiarity means that we're in the minority. And friends, we are in the minority. And here's the problem. It isn't that people straight up don't believe in God. Some don't. 
but, but there's this massive compromise in the middle. See, there's a small section of people that believes that God doesn't exist and blah, 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 whatever. And then down here on this other end, there's this group of people that's completely saved and sanctified and they understand, or if they're not sanctified, they're trying to be, and they understand that God is everything He said He is. And they know what it means, even if they're not always doing it, they know what it means to be His prized possession, to be part of His household. And they're doing everything that they can. They're striving to do it every day, even when they fail. They're trying. And they, and, they, and they use His grace as a stepping stone to get forward, not to keep doing what they shouldn't do, but as the means to get to where they ought to be. That's what they're doing. And then you've got this massive area between the two. And, it, and it's also split in the middle. One group believes in God, but they've probably never really gotten saved, not the way they ought to. And they think you can be a good person, or whatever society says you can be, to go to heaven, or to be part of the kingdom. That, that's what they think. And there's a smattering of different opinions about how that works. And then in the second part, the lower part of that, is the people who have gotten saved. They had made a decision for Christ somewhere along the line. And they've tried to be a Christian the best way they know how. And therein lies the problem. You can't be a Christian the best way you know how. It's not possible. And this is why they've compromised the word of truth. They do things that feels right. That other people say is right. That seems reasonable and plausible. They accept things that God does not. They promote things that God does not. And unfortunately, they're, they're the more dangerous because the people in both of the other levels <laughs> don't know any differently. And so when they decide if one of those two wants to get saved, they typically look at this big group of people that doesn't live the way the smaller group down here is, the way God says you should. And unfortunately, when you look at those groups, it's like, what steers the ship? Well, the big one does. And the smaller group is considered nutty or holy rollers or whatever you want to call it. And the world doesn't know what to believe. And the enemy is going, yeah, that's what we'll teach you. We'll teach them. Let them believe that. Okay, they can believe. There's a big group. And I think that that big group, I think the goats are going to be a much bigger group than the sheep. What do you think? I think, I think, the, I think the goat group is going to be way bigger than I ever thought it would. And I have to be honest with you. In the last 20 years, and I've been here 19 of them, in the last 20 years, I've seen this massive shift. I've watched it before my very eyes. Where it, the scripture says, your yes is yes, your no is no. And we've said, oh, but that's not really true. And the church is saying it isn't true. That you can be and do whatever you want within reason. My question is, whose reason? Not his, clearly. So friends, what are you going to do today? What does it mean to you to be in the household of faith? What does it mean to be part of God's household? 
where you were purchased with a great price. You can know what it is today, even if you think you don't. The difference is willingness. See, God, God invites everyone to his household. He wants every, he, the door's always open. <laughs> it's not going to be shut until the end time. <laughs> it's open now. And you, guess what? You can come and go as you please. He's not happy about it, but you can't. Why wouldn't we just get in there and stay there? What would it take for you to know to stay and to know why? Because if we do that, what's what happen? Those of us who are in this little group right here will shift down into the really small group and it'll begin to grow. And pretty soon, that group will be bigger, more influential upon the rest of the group. Do you understand that? We got to go back to what it once was, not what it has become. Why? Because people's lives depend on it. And that's, according to Paul, our spiritual act of worship.